Welcome to the Mosh Zone, Episode 7, Number 7, Week 7, Volume 7, Number 7. Big show this week as always, lots in store, we've got all your Mosh news, we've got some Mosh reviews, we also sit down and chat with Trent of Relentless and Dogfight Records, all that coming up in the show. Let's get things started with the Mosh news. This week, one of the big exciting news pieces was a new single from the boys themselves, Parkway Drive. The single is called Wishing Wells. It's a song that's definitely polarizing the fans out there. Some people are loving it. Some people are hating it. I'm loving it. It's definitely Parkway Drive. It's definitely a progression from their last album. They're pushing forward with that stadium-sized metal, that new metal-tinged Euro metal sound. It's catchy as fuck. Great sounding. It builds very much in the last 40 to 45 seconds. Kicks in, really gets going. This song feels like it will become an opener in their set. Magnificent song. The only downside i got to say to it is that the video clip doesn't really feel like a video clip. It's just Winston with a bit of lighting in a dark room. But it's new Parkway Drive music, so we're excited nonetheless. All the information about that song and the upcoming album are on our website and on our social medias. Other big exciting news this week. Misery Signals have announced that they are currently working on their first album in five years. Fuck yeah, Misery Signals coming back. New album. Very excited to hear it. We do know that Misery Signals do take a while to get the recording and writing stuff done. So I don't think we'll have anything by this year. Looks like more like an early 2019 release. We will keep you updated on any information that comes forward. As always, keep an eye on our website and social medias. Other massive news this week. Behemoth fans are going to get some new stuff. They're getting... A live DVD Blu-ray set that's going to have over 150 minutes of live footage. It's going to have everything from live concerts to music videos to behind-the-scenes stuff. It's going to be a collector's item, as always, for Behemoth fans. Got all the information about it that we know, including a live video that they've released. And also, we've got all of the ordering details. If you want to grab yourself one of those DVD Blu-rays on our website, and through our social medias. We had new music videos this week. We had a new music video from German heavyweights Caliban. The song is called Before Later Becomes Never. It's the second single from their upcoming album Elements, and it does feature Australia's brutal lord himself, CJ of Thy Art Is Murder. Interesting song. It sounds a bit different for Caliban, but then it sounds a bit similar. And when CJ kicks in, that song just reaches next level brutals. Really excited to hear Elements when it does get released later in this year. If you want to listen to the song, it's on our website and through our social medias now. Other music videos released this week. Uh, There was a new Stick to Your Guns. Great new Stick to Your Guns mosh music video. Check that out. We also got... A new Bleed From Within song called Afterlife. Absolutely epic fucking song from the Scottish boys. Really, really psyched 
as fuck for this album that they're about to release called Era. We also got new At The Gates. We got the title track from their upcoming album, To Drink From The Night Itself. It is At Your Gates, back in form. Really excited for that album. That album will be dropping soon as well. We also had some album news from Jesus Peace. The hardcore band have announced that they have finished recording their debut album, which will be coming out very soon on Southern Lord Records. Can't wait to hear that. A lot of hype about Jesus Peace, so it's very, very excited to see where that goes. Other album news... The alt-rock legends, some would say metalcore legends, Seven Dust have announced their 12th album is coming out in May on Rise Records and will be called All I See Is War. At the moment, all we have is the artwork, but as soon as more details come available, we will, of course, let you know. Bit of other news this week was I Valiance, the Melbourne boys, have reappeared. They're fucking back. After five years of uncertainty and not sure what was going on with the guys, they have come back with part one of their debut album. It's four tracks. It's massive sounding. But the exciting bit, the amazing bit about this EP was they dropped a music video this week. And in the music video, we can confirm... Mark is back. Mark is back as the vocalist of the band. Mark, of course, was their original founding vocalist. He is also the current vocalist of Aversion's Crown. He has announced that he will be pulling dual duties. The fact that he's back in iValiance is amazing. The fact that he's still doing Aversion's is amazing. It's all exciting. Next week, we will be reviewing that part one of the album. Really excited to get in depth with it and get our ears around it. Also, lastly, on news this week, Bare Bones have announced an Australian headline tour. The Riff Masters have recently come off a main support for Rise Against. They will be now smashing out a bunch of shows throughout Australia. They'll be hitting up Perth, Victoria, Brisbane and Sydney. Get along to a show. They will be supported by Maverick Dogfight Records' recent signings. It's all going ahead in late March. Make sure you grab a ticket. Make sure you support those Aussie boys. We've got all the details on our website as always. So that is all the Mosh news for this week. As we always say, make sure you check out our website, which is themoshzone.com. Make sure you check out our social medias, which are at themoshzone. Get on there. Stay up to date. Give it a like. Give it a follow. We'll keep you updated with all the news as we get it. It's now time for Mosh Reviews. First up this week is the new release from Traders called Anger Issues, out now independently. They've been an active band since 2013. They've so far released two EPs and two full lengths. When I say this this is a release, it's because I'm not quite sure if you classify this an album or an EP. It's eight tracks. So really that kind of exceeds what we expect normally with an EP, which is around five or six, but it's not quite 10 to 12 tracks, which we expect on an album. So we're just going to say it's a release because we're not quite sure what to classify it. Traders, musically simply put, is new metal tinged brutal breakdown deathcore. They've been a band, they've been growing a name for themselves with just how angry and slamming in your face their deathcore delivery is. 
This is somewhat of a comeback release after their singer left in 2017 and only recently rejoined the band. This release sits perfectly in their discography. It sticks to the rhythm that they do and it fits in with all the rest. Low end tuned brutality, dissonant spite filled lyrics, breakdowns upon breakdowns. On this release, the new metal influence and sound that they've become very known for has been dialed back slightly compared to their last album in particular, which was called Mental State. However, traders haven't removed any of the gut-busting rage, anger, bitterness and pure beat-down brutality that they're known for and have a big fan base for. This is quite simply no frills deathcore, heavy as fuck deathcore. It's solid, driving drums, fight-ready riffs, spiteful, primal, angry vocals. Traders are heavy. Yes, that's without a doubt. Yes, traders are not overly complex or a technical band. Yes, there is no real dynamics in the sound. But yes, it is enjoyable. If you have to really pick out a negative or a couple of negatives, the new metal sound that made them sit out from the rest of the overcrowded, oversaturated deathcore crowd has gone. So that means, unfortunately, this release feels like it's lumped in with everyone else. It doesn't stick out. That's not saying it's bad. It just becomes very similar to everything else out there. Some variation in the sound and delivery would also allow the tracks to stand alone individually better. All the tracks start sounding a bit samey after a full few spins. They bleed together and you start to forget which track is which. This release is very entertaining and perfect if you want to throw down in your living room, move all your loose furniture items and just fucking break down. The longevity, unfortunately, is a bit thin. Afterwards, I felt a bit unfulfilled and it didn't feel like there was much substance. But uh, to be honest, I think that is how this deathcore genre is starting to go. It's not a criticism against traders, it's just how deathcore is headed. If you like your breakdowns and breakdowns and breakdowns and breakdowns, check this out. If you like your deathcore, check this out. If you like rage, pit-ready lyrics, check this out. If you want a quick fix that's straight into your stereo and it's over and then you like, fuck yeah, rah, check this out. For fans of Spite, Amua, Body Snatcher, The Last 10 Seconds of Life, fans of Breakdowns and Anger, get onto this. This is, of course, the new release by Traders. It is called Anger Issues. It is out now independently on iTunes, Spotify and Bandcamp. We give it a 6.5 out of 10. Next Mosh review is the new EP by Melbourne Boys Thornhill called Butterfly. This is the band's second EP. Their first EP, called 13, grabbed a lot of attention and a lot of fans out of the gate for this band. They're a promising heavy band who have been playing lots of local shows and have been scoring some international support recently. They're really starting to gain some momentum. This band love Northlane and Carnival. It's where this band sit. 
Their influences you can pretty much tell from the offset. Take that as you will. The band love to play a seesaw game with the riff-heavy bounce feeling with the soaring melodic choruses. They have a knack of without one sound overpowering the other, so the sounds seem to just fit individually on their own and don't get messed in the mix. There is also a very amazing vocal performance layered on top of some amazing musicianship. The Butterfly EP for Thornhill is definitely a big step forward in the right direction. They are definitely working hard to develop their sound and figure out where they're going from here. The EP is chaotic at times, very slick and professional sounding production. It is sounding large as fuck. Thornhill, obviously, as we said, there's a big Northland Carnival sound. They obviously have a lot of influences that you can tell throughout the release, but they also don't want to be pigeonholed, so it at times feels all over the place. They're trying to show they're not a one-trick pony. Musically, it is tight as a tiger, intricate, creative and progressive, genty, bouncy riffs, hard-hitting breakdowns, and there's some absolute talent that you cannot deny with this young band. Vocals are gritty and passionate, the very yelling feeling. There's not much in the register except for that screamy yell, and there are some big, soaring, crooning choruses going on as well. If we have to give some negatives, it's that guitar tone that they've picked. The North Lane Architects guitar tone. That guitar tone that's now being overused and overabused in the genre. It's another band using it. And um, to be honest, I'm getting sick of hearing the same tone by every fucking band. With that tone that they're using, it tends to make it not sound original. It tends the music to sound like, oh, that's a North Lane riff. It's not a North Lane riff, but the tone and production on that guitar sound makes it sound like North Lane. The other thing that's a bit of a negative is a bit of variety is always great. But honing it in a bit more and saying this is what we sound like helps the listener along the way. If it's five tracks jumping everywhere, then we're not really sure what you are. Yes, we can see your skills. Yes, we can see there's a lot of talent. Yes, you offer a lot, but a bit too much. Maybe draw it back a bit. Thornhill Butterfly EP is very captivating. With Unified backing these guys on their record label, it will be pushed. They will rise the ranks very quickly. They're already on their way to rising the ranks. The test will really be the staying power of this band with the originality. Will they be just like everyone else or will they stand on their own feet and have their own identity? Thornhill need to break the mould that's becoming common with Australian bands being called copycats of the scene this band need to start standing out for themselves and forging their own path. Very excited to see what's next with Thornhill. It's time for no more EPs. Two EPs done, it's now time to step up to the full length. For fans of Genty Groove, 
bouncy rhythms, sing-alongs, riffage. For fans of North Lane, Polaris, Carnival. For fans of supporting an up-and-coming band before they break the big time. That release is the new EP by Thornhill called Butterfly, out now on Unify. We give it a 6 out of 10. Next up for review is the new album by Good Tiger called We Will All Be Gone, out now on Metal Blade Records. This is the second album for Good Tiger, and Good Tiger are a super band of sorts, featuring ex-members of Tesseract, The Faceless, and The Safety Fire. This band is progressive radio rock. It's Birds of Tokyo mixed with Periphery. While this kind of music isn't really my jam normally, Because of the members in this band, I've paid attention to them since their first release. On this album, titled We Will All Be Gone, it's more of a pop accessibility sound, more of an alt-rock sound. They're starting to step away from the progressive metal riffage that they had on the first album. They've definitely matured and focused on something different this time around. Previously, this band was all riff-centered groove and tech wizardry. Now, there's no screams, no long progressive structures and fills. It's now all streamlined. In a way, it now feels watered down, and because they don't want to overload the listener's senses, they've kind of just pulled it all back slightly. Nothing flashy, nothing very special. It's rock radio music. In a way, because it sounds in parts like Birds of Tokyo, it's very indie sounding. It's very mainstream sounding. And you can take that as you will. It's musically amazing, but it doesn't feel quite enough. There's definitely a place for this music in the heavy genre, but I feel like it's more of a background music it's more of a introduction into the heavier side of stuff. It's for that person that you know that goes, I don't mind guitar, but I don't really like heavy stuff. Show them Good Tiger. Hopefully that then leads you to say, here's Periphery. Slowly but surely you can bring them in. This album is not outstanding, but it's not horrible. It's okay. It is a niche sound for a niche market. This album will be popular with those periphery scene kids. It's for fans of smooth rock, smooth lullaby, smooth guitar work. It's for fans of Triple J. It's for fans of Birds of Tokyo. It's fans of progressive rock. That album is We Will All Be Gone from Good Tiger, out now on Metal Blade, and we give it a 4 out of 10. Last Mosh review this week is the debut EP from Climate of Fear called Holy Terror, out now on Demons Run Amok Entertainment. As I said, it's the debut EP for the English Bruisers. If you know your English hardcore beatdown scene, you would know a band called Desolated. Desolated called it quits last year, and this is vocalist Paul Williams' new band. Musically, this band doesn't stick to what Williams used to do in Desolated. It's a bit different. 
His raspy, barking, very unique vocal delivery is still the same and still there, but musically, it's a bit of a surprise what's behind him. Musically, style-wise, it's very much a blend of a lot. There's hardcore, there's beatdown, there's melodic death metal moments, there's metalcore moments. At times, it's got a very old-school-sounding feeling to it. It's pummeling, it's no bullshit, beatdown, hardcore, metalcore crossover. It is only around 15 minutes long. It is six tracks. They do seem to manage to pack a lot in, even though it's over really quick. There is a whirlwind of riffage, crushing drums, very commanding, barked-at-you vocal delivery by Williams. The first downside about this EP is being only six tracks. Two of them are instrumental. It starts off with intro, and at track four there's an interlude, so technically it's only a four-track EP. Which, to be honest... You understand why those are there, because it builds the tension, it sets the atmosphere, but it's pretty disappointing when you're excited to get an EP that out of six songs, only four are technically songs. Twisted Reality was the single they released. It's a breakdown heavy riff fest going on. It's chugs on chugs. There's a very mellow death shredding feel to the guitars. Being the single, you'd think it was one of the strongest on the EP, To be honest, I think it's probably the weakest on the EP. Scorched Earth, for me, is the strongest standout track. It's got a thuggish riff, pit-ready stomping feeling. It's got a plunging breakdown that is ready for the spin kickers in the pit. Those idiots that always look like they're doing karate exercises in the pit. It feels well-written. There's sustained notes in the song that create a space and a swagger ready for that cascading beat-down chaos that comes in. Another highlight on the EP is the final track, Holy Terror. It's got a mellow death metal riffage, dueling guitar solos. There's even a bass solo. It's got a hard-as-nails breakdown. And when this song finishes, you feel like They're finally starting to hit their pace. They're finally warming up. You feel like, hang on, we're going to get some more here. No, unfortunately, the EP ends after Holy Terror. A big negative for me, unfortunately, is the production and recording quality. It's not top-notch at all. At times, the mixing is confusing. The drums are so in your face that it drowns out a lot of the riffs and guitar solos. You can hear that the riffs and solos are going on, but they're in the distance and drowned out by this pummeling drum sound. The EP could have definitely slammed you in the face, but it feels like a tap on the face because nothing quite punches because of the quality of the recording and production. Musically, They get better as the EP goes on. So let's hope we get another release soon and it's a full length and then we can see these guys fully hit their stride. The sound of this band is not unique in the landscape of 2018, but it's talented, it's raw, it's confident and it's tough as fuck. The EP is packed full of catchy guitars, very tight drumming, excellent riffs and breakdowns that break it up out of nowhere. Williams' vocals 
when he was in Desolated and now in Climate of Fear, are going to be a love or hate for the fan base. He's a very unique sounding frontman in the genre and I don't mind it at all. I like it. Williams has that edge. He sounds different. He doesn't sound cliche. He doesn't sound like every other person. It is a dry bark, but it is so much viciousness, so incensed and pissed off that you love it. You get drawn into it. Lyrically, it's unsurprisingly critical of religion and the state of the world. They're not breaking ground with the lyrical topics, but it's well delivered. As we said, Williams will be your deciding point on if you want to get into this band or not. I recommend it. You really give it a go. If at first you're like, oh, I'm not sure, give it a couple more spins. It will grow on you if at first you're not sure. I think he's an amazing vocalist and he's one of the best coming out of England in this genre. Climate of Fear have made a statement of intent with this EP. They're saying, we're fucking here and we're ready to come in hard. I really do hope that on the next release, not only do they step up to a full length, but they also step up in the writing sense, and they also step up in the production and quality of recording. Hopefully, if all those things align, we will be able to say we have a new name on the scene that are here to be reckoned with, and that's Climate of Fear. This is for fans of up-tempo hardcore Sinising, punishing metalcore beatdowns. It's got tough riffs. It's got tough swagger. It's for fans of Malevance, Terror, Mareball, Unearth, At the Gates at times. We recommend you get into these guys. Give it a go. It's not amazing, but it is good. So that release is Holy Terror by Climate of Fear. It's out now on Demons Run Amuck Entertainment. It's on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify, and we give it a six and a half out of ten. So that's all the Mosh reviews done for this week. Let us know what you think. Give us some feedback. Have you heard any of those? Do you like any of those? Do you dislike any of those? Let us know what you think. Send us an email. Hit us up on social media. Have you got a band that you want your release reviewed by us? Get in touch. Our email is themoshzone at gmail.com. Our social medias are at themoshzone. Get in touch. Let's grow this Moshzone community. Coming up next, I got to sit down with Trent of Relentless and Dogfight Records, an absolute legend of the Australian hardcore scene. It was great to get to know all about him, the band, and the label. That's coming up now. So, first off, what age and what brought you to the heavier style of music? Um, when I was younger, I used to listen to a lot of um, punk. Like, I feel that when you start in the hardcore, hardcore scene, you either come from kind of two sides, you either come from the new metal side, or you come from a punk side, and uh, I grew up with the the punk side. So I had the Pennywise, I had ten foot poles strung out, um, pulley, slick shoes, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and then I think it wasn't until just watching a bunch of earlier surf movies like The Show and and a bunch of other surfing videos that I started to 
get kind of more of a grasp on the heavier style of music and hear and and check out a lot more bands that way. And I think um, I definitely get remember getting given the Parkway and Prom Queen split years ago, and then um, that was probably one of the first times I'd ever heard like any heavier style of music. And straight after that, it was probably Sydney bands like Taking Sides and Last Nerve. And um, they were probably the first original um, bands that I kind of fell into um, in the heavier scene. And then, yeah, it was just like a snowball effect from there, I guess. Every time I just – from each band you found, you found other ones because you'd go see a band and the lead singer would be wearing some other band's T-shirt and make you interested to see what that band was and – so on and so forth. I think that's just what made it so vast, the, the bands out there that I fell into, I guess. Yeah, so you grew up in the in that era when, you know, looking in a CD booklet was vital to finding out other bands. What, oh. what lyrically brought you or musically about heavy music made you stick with it? Some people say it's because, you know, they were in that period of their life where they were feeling a bit rebellious or whatever, so they did it to piss off mum and dad. Some people were just naturally drawn to it. What about yourself? Um, I definitely get the rebellious side because I was that one kid in like year 10 and 11 and 12 where I had dyed black hair and kids would not understand why I would have my hair the way I would or I dressed the way I would, but it definitely had the rebellious side of it. But I think the elder I got, it wasn't so much some kids this day and age, like people think that you're in the rebellious side because it's such angry music. So it sounds a bit more violent, a bit heavier and it makes you seem a bit tougher. But I think, I think the, the message behind it, a lot of people don't understand it because a lot of the time they don't give it the time of day or they can't understand the lyrics enough. So they don't bother looking into it, but I definitely could relate to a lot more lyric, like music lyrically than anything else. So you'd hear the heavy music and, um, I felt like there was more passion and a hell of a lot more like sincerity in the music emphasised with the um, the heaviness behind it and the message was even though it was a lot deeper and harder for um, other people other than myself to, to connect with because they couldn't understand it. Once you knew what the lyrics were about and you knew what the band stood for, it definitely had a lot more meaning because it had such a strong message behind it but as the – music being as heavy and as forceful it was, it definitely duplicated it. So there was 10 times more emphasis on the meaning and the conviction behind it, I reckon. So hardcore, obviously, like you're saying, hardcore was a a big draw-in because of the, you know, the uplifting, stand strong, show your convictions, lyrical side of things. What hardcore bands internationally really draw you in? I mean... Without stepping into it, Relentless is a sick of it all song. I mean, was sick of it all a bit of an influence? I mean, funny enough, um, I wouldn't say that they were an influential, like a, a massive influence pull when we started the band out. Um, and not many people know the actual initial starting of the band, but I actually wrote the first demo on guitar. Oh, um, and and we had an actual old vocalist and um. <laughs> He started our first demo came out in 2006, and um, once that once that demo dropped, um, the the vocalist Sean at the time who wrote the first three songs actually named the band Relentless. 
Oh. And I was just and I was just the guitarist that wrote the original demo. And then he just couldn't he just couldn't find time to continue with the band. So I decided to step up to vocals. And that was when we released I recruited like um Dean and Dennis and that was um oh sorry, definitely Dean, our drummer, and that was when we wrote the two thousand seven demo that I sung on. And that's pretty much when we say Relentless started. But um relentless was actually relentless valor to start and then it became relentless yeah um and then we just really and that's why we only really say the band started in 2007 because although that first demo was written in 2006 i actually played bass on the demo so um so going um, back then how you started guitar you started as a guitarist what i started as the second guitarist but then we decided to stay a four piece so i jumped to bass what made you play guitar when you were a kid, or what made you go oh, pick up the guitar? The first, oh, probably my mum when I was younger. She oh, wow. wanted me to learn to learn an instrument, and she wanted me to learn piano or something like that. But as a young kid, I didn't really care, and then I started classical guitar. And yet again, I didn't really care too much, and so I was a drummer. But um, I, uh, yeah, I just always knew how to play guitar, and that's why I. Um, continued with that and it was easy for me to play bass when we started because um i i already knew most of the songs on guitar so we just stayed as a four piece um and i played bass um i can still remember some of the first shows we only really did we did a run with with shinto katana like back in 2006 and we went to melbourne once and we did one festival in canberra called like is that metal for brain or something it wouldn't have been. No, it was Mick. Yeah. I, I saw the fly for it the other day. It literally had like the the bleed or the someone like that, like headlining. But oh. um, and I played bass in that, and that was literally we'd only play like three or four shows, and then um, as that lineup, and then we weren't sure where we wanted to go with it, but we decided to stick with it and do a couple of shuffles, and then that's where it became rel- the the relentless it is today, really. So was with myself on vocals. What was the reason you picked up the mic? Was it just through the need? I think because I just knew the I just knew the songs. Oh, yeah. When I was younger, I played in a lot of punk bands, um, guitar, and attempted to sing, but I have no vocal capabilities at all. But still tried, and so I think when it came through, it was just like rather than getting someone else into the the outfit, it was easy just to get a mate to play bass. And since I was there from the original writing of all the original stuff, it was easier for me to just step up and sing, I think. Now, over the years, without really any singing lessons, have you, <laughs> have you found vocals easier as you've gone on? Like, have you learnt that it's an instrument or has it just been something that you've winged it and it's just kind of like, as 50, it happens, 50, it happens? 50, 50. Like, when I'm actually – the funniest thing with me is the fact that if I do a one-off show, I sound terrible because my vocals – I'm not like a trained singer and a lot of other people can sing with no problems, but I don't have that kind of diaphragm. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to me, like, we did a Europe tour, which was uh, like 27 shows in 30 days with these nuts in Europe, and after the first three shows, once my voice had broken in, I didn't even need a warm-up after that. I was locked in. But once I do – once I do two shows, I might lose my voice because it takes me that long for me to adjust on like, so I'd rather do bigger tours than just the two or three runoff shows because um, my vocal take a day or two for it to actually sit into where I remember it being because we don't tour as much as we used to. Yeah, well, I'm going to come to that in a second because I've got a couple <laughs> of questions about that. I don't want to jump too far forward. <laughs> now, um, the... 
the moment you guys relentless came into my spectrum because I'm a big fan of the hardcore was set in stone. Yep. That was when you guys really came into my attention. Now that album, you guys really seemed to gain a bit of momentum. Looking back on it, was that a good time to be in the band, or was the good time when Turn the Curse happened? Because that's when you guys really picked up. Yeah. Well, I can even definitely, I definitely can quote a couple of the boys like in this. We've actually talked about it, and we don't regret anything. But definitely looking back, we. Where we were after maybe a year and a half or two years into Turn the Curse, that was when we really could have pushed the band to the next level. Like that was when we were like, shit, this is becoming real. Like we've, we were one of the, although we weren't on a major label, although I was doing everything myself and our drum was helping booking stuff and we we're running our own, we did like off Turn the Curse, we did America, Europe, Southeast Asia, and I think New Zealand all in the same year. And for an up-and-coming young band with no, like, major label backing or anything like that, in my mind, that was really unheard of. And unless you were Amity, D's Nuts or Parkway, I think at the time, mm. um, not not many other bands were doing that kind of stuff, especially not so DIY like we were. So no, um, and- we, definitely, we definitely had the momentum after Turn of the Curse, 100%. That was when, when we dropped that, that was when I reached out and went international and tried to get – a couple of international labels to back it and it was kind of like the second it dropped it was dropped worldwide through all these labels and then the tours fell and that was when we really started to shine um i think and actually that was the first time we brought nick jet from terror yes as a producer in on it too so that definitely gave us a different outlook on recording a different outlook on having someone else's input and a different outlook on the way we actually did it with pre-production as well, which we'd never actually even knew what it was before. Now, how did that link up with um, Nick Jet happen? Um, so I think maybe a year or two before that, um, uh, Terra toured with Stick to Your Guns over here, mm-hmm. and I actually tour managed Stick to Your Guns. And I'm pretty sure I'd met them a little bit before that because, funny enough, playing bass – um, the first time I ever toured America, I used to play bass in the war from Brisbane. Oh yeah. And war. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd done, I'd done America twice with them already. And while I was over there, we went to a couple of side shows and Tara were playing. So my head popped up and, and, um, David Wood and them and Nick Jett remembered my face from being over there. And then when they saw me over here, they kind of put two and two together that, that I was just this kid that's always around and always at hardcore shows. And then it wasn't until I actually said to Nick, I'm like, yeah, we'd love to do something. How would you think about about playing or whatever? And then – or recording, sorry. And then the last time they came out, I hit him up and he was like, yeah, I'm coming out. I'm going to be here for a while. And we said, well, mate, we're, we'll push the album back if you would like to be a part of it. And I think it was around the time that he was doing a lot of stuff. So he was doing backtrack. He was doing mm-hmm. – take offense he was doing any kind of california band any band in america that was doing anything maybe like on the reaper scene any reaper related band and so many other american bands were just going to him so we knew he had the the caliber behind him he had the backing he knew what he was doing so we hit him up and we were like this is what we want this is our ideas what do you think about and he's like i'll fly out two weeks earlier for a tour and, and let's get this done now and funny enough actually sorry he stayed back because i can still remember i did i actually tour managed terror on that tour 
Ooh. So I did the Terra two after two weeks, and then the second we hit Sydney, we recorded for two weeks. Now, with that album being sounding so great with Jet's production and hindsight, and as you said, all that momentum you guys are really picking up doing all these tours, it felt like you guys just disappeared suddenly. <laughs> it, it literally yeah. was because... Um, as a bit of a fanboy of Relentless myself, yeah. it was, you guys were there, you were on the forefront, you were playing a lot of local shows, you know, you were supporting, you name it, you were there. Yeah. And then what happened? Because it all just kind of <sighs> disappeared for a year out of nowhere. Nah, true. Well, looking back at it, honestly, and I can't speak for the other boys or industry people or anything else, but definitely at that point is the only time I've ever thought, well, wow, this band actually needs a manager. This band needs an actual record label. This band needs a booking agent. This band needs a kind of team because it got to the point that I was everything and not that it became too overwhelming, but I just couldn't survive doing my own, like doing my, doing the label, doing work in my own hours, doing all this other stuff and trying to keep up with that as well. Mm. I think that, that was the main thing. Plus the other thing, which it sucks because if I were to give any advice to any kids out there is freaking do whatever you can, quit your job, rob a bank and do whatever you can while you're young because you need the money because the second you get to like late 20s, it's not as easy just to just to tell your boss on the Thursday you're not coming in for four days because you're driving to Melbourne. Yeah. Because back then I used to work job for job, credit card for credit card, and the older you get, when the, uh, when, the, when the tax dude starts knocking on your door and you have been living day to day for the past 10 years, it, uh, it's a bit of a wake-up call. So to be honest, that was probably the thing. We tried to be a little bit older. Um, everyone was kind of getting out of serious relationships and doing a lot of other stuff. So maybe I can say maybe poor time management. Maybe we life. didn't – we didn't yeah, life kind of really. Mm. So – we, we definitely – and the other thing was we toured so much off that record that we were ready to record the next record, but Relentless has this lovely attitude of um, we'll wait till we're ready to record that we'll start to write, whereas okay. I'm buzzing lyrics all the time. But then two years after we released a record and I'll be like, all right, fellas, let's write some music. They're like, oh, all right, I'll see what I can come up with. We're so flat out over those past things that we didn't actually have any new material. So that was our issue when we released Price of Pain, which was like three years later, is because we spent so much time focusing on touring and getting shows and doing all this other stuff. And we actually had a big gap. So then we told ourselves, let's take a year off to write. And that year turned into two and a half. So, um, and we didn't really want to push anything from, um, kind of we didn't want to we would we got over touring we actually got offered two more american tours and we'd already been to america twice i've turned the curse and we thought it was stupid going back to another country without any new material so that's when we kind of started putting stuff on hold and doing this and then weeks turned into months months turned into a year and before you knew it it's like we we, we it's not that we forgot about but we definitely fell behind and there was just a lot of other younger bands that were just having the new stuff and had the time to to push that. So, and that that album, Price of Pain, was it was good because um, without sounding a bit biased, it was a, it was a punkier edge to that album now <laughs> mm. and more frenetic. 
Now, as you said with the younger bands, when you finally dropped that in 2015, 2016, I believe. Um, yeah. Do you feel that, did you guys feel pressure that, you know, A, you had something to live up to now because of Turn the Curse and B, that you had to try and reach a new point because everyone else has moved forward in three years? I guess 50-50, like, on both sides. We definitely we definitely knew that we had to step it up because Turn the Curse was known so internationally and was such a pinnacle of the, like, it was actually a, a big turn for Relentless. And so we knew we had to step it up. But our issue was, and it wasn't the label's um, fault, it wasn't management, it wasn't anyone's fault except just pure potluck that just other bands might be able to relate to, but we just had... Any bad luck that could have gone ahead, we copped. So we lined up. We did the Story So Far tour, and we're like, let's hold it off. It's going to be a sick tour. We've got this record. We love this record. It's very – it's got like a punkier side. It's got a bit of metallic bits, a lot slower in songs, a lot heavier in songs, a lot different to what we've done. So we tested our boundaries, a lot more lead bits. Let's, let's, let's try and drop this and kind of step it up a little bit. And then for two and a half years – Every tour we lined up, like we turned down tours to get on other tours. We had support acts. We had American bands asking for us when they were over here. And I can name about four or five acts over a period of about 18 months and everything fell through. So we actually didn't do a release tour for a year and a half off that record. And it's one of the biggest regrets of probably the relentless career i'll happily say because we just kept pushing it off and then we were like yeah we'll do something in february and then there was three international acts coming back to back from january to april and we're like there's no point competing against them so we waited till after that and then by the time we came to that then someone else said well let's get them on and then their management cancelled that because they wanted to go to europe instead of australia and then before you knew it the record had already been out for a year and we hadn't even we played we played a release show with born free and we played one show with Endless Heights in the city, and we hadn't even been to Melbourne or Queensland. It wasn't until 2017 at Stick to Your Guns and Knocked Loose. Uh, Knocked Loose. Yeah, that was pretty much our release tour. Oh wow! Which is pretty pathetic <laughs> in my eyes. Two years afterwards. But yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And the, the crazy thing was, like, I was blown away because kids were still so psyched because that was the first time we'd actually played interstate with all the new material. So that was the first time we actually – that was a kind of – just before that happened, we, we, we weren't talking about breaking up or anything, but we're like, what are we doing, guys? Where's this going? Are we going to do anything? And then I said, well, let's just do this tour, see what comes of it. And then when we did the tour, we were so blown away at how the reaction of the kids were. We were like, well, I know we're not touring as much, but – it's not like we need to throw in a towel because it's not that we're like we're forgotten about or anything. So let's and just let's just let's just see what happens, really. And you have been already this year. You have popped on. We've probably of played shows. more shows this year than we have in the past three the past three years. Yeah, I noticed that. I mean, this this year and the end of last year, like December, there's been a couple of shows going on. Is that? Are you guys getting a bit of the urge so to the play momentum, again? Oh, the urge is there more than ever, I think, right now. I think the other thing is the fact that although we don't have as much time to be able to pack up and leave for a weekend, I think the older you get, the itch gets heavier because, mm. like, it's not just like you're a little kid working at Kmart or when we used to just, like, I used to mow gardens or do whatever. I didn't care because now it's like 
you kind of a bit older, you're kind of running businesses, you're doing this. So when you, it's like when you want to tour, you, it's 10 times bigger feeling. You need to get the hell out of here more than ever kind of thing. Now, last question with Relentless or last bit on Relentless before we move <laughs> on to label. Yeah. What, I mean, without going into too much, because you, as you said, you don't know too much yet. What's in store for the rest of the year? Like, is there is there anything on the horizon? Could we have could we have an EP maybe in a year or so? More shows, you know? What's... I'll happily say because I definitely know there are. We've been asked for a couple, so there's definitely shows on the horizon. Nice. And as for material, um, we've I've spoken to the boys and I said I don't want any pressure on us to be pushing out these full lengths because that was our issue. Mm. That's why we've done we've done three back to back full lengths. And that's why they've been nearly two and a half, three years apart because we're like, all right, guys, we need 12 of the best songs. Let's write 15. Let's do this. I said, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm too older. I want to release singles. I want to release EPs. I want to release seven inches. I want to just bring music out because I just want to make hardcore music. Fuck like I don't yeah. have to wait. I don't have to wait a year and a half because we have to wait for the pressing to be done and the label to confirm to do this. So I just go, I just want to, even if it's just a digital release, I just want to write music and drop it. So I'll hopefully, don't take my word for it, but I will, we will hopefully have a track or two out by the end of the year. Yeah, fuck yeah. That's great news. Fuck yeah. yeah. Great news. <laughs> yeah. Now, moving, shifting gears onto Dogfight a bit. Um, All right. That, that label was kind of, was that your idea? Was it a necessary idea? Because the first um, EP, Opposition to Control, was yep. was a Dogfight Records release. Yep. So yeah. the way the label came about is um, one of my very good mates. Have you ever heard of a band from Sydney called No Love Lost? Oh, yeah. So No Love Lost and myself, Daniel Pilkington, who sung for No Love Lost, we got, um, we got to the point that we were just growing up in the scene. We are seeing all these bands come and go. We are seeing all these, like bands that we thought could do well but never had the right pulling so we said to ourselves oh well let's just let's become a booking agent let's book let's bring bands and book shows and do that kind of stuff because young bands don't know the right way to go and we knew enough people to direct in the right avenue to be able to make things happen and then we were like well why bother just book bands why don't we actually push their music to help them get out to the people that they probably have no idea how to get to so we came together and the two of us started Dogfight Records and that was where that generated from. And literally our first release, I think, was Shinto Katana Cold Streets and then second was like Sun Tzu from Melbourne split with Vengeance from Perth and then our number, our third and fourth releases were Relentless Opposition to Control and No Love Lost Release of Shackled. So they were our – we literally kind of started the label to release our own music but then we used it as an avenue to help other bands as well. Now, and do you, do you, have you seen a big difference in that side of the industry since you know technology and oh, yeah. streaming? I mean, what what was <laughs> what is it like now from a record label standpoint? Um, it's definitely like I haven't really made any money from it in like the last ten years anyway. But definitely now it's a hell of a lot harder to even kind of generate any kind of revenue unless you're focused and let like to me dogfight was the thing on the side that i use to help other bands to get them out to do as much as i can but unless you've got a panel of 12 people working for you six days a week really pushing every avenue and the newest digital crafted 
whatever the hell's out there, then it's a lot harder than what it was back in the day. Plus, I can openly say it's not just the technology of the labels that has increased, but the laziness of bands mm. over the last 10 years is absolutely dreadful in my days. I don't even see demos anymore. Like, no, it's weird. Back in the day, people used to – I used to be walking out of shows and couldn't wait to see what kid was standing at the front with a new demo or what flyer or whatever. And now, like, a new band will come up out of nowhere with a – with a ten thousand dollar release single and a, a best quality YouTube film clip I've ever seen, but there's no they never they never put in the groundwork, and they just hope to shoot sky high straight away. So that's a definite big big change in my eyes. Like bands don't work as hard as they used to, which unless you're a big time label is a lot harder on the labels because they expect you to make a multi platinum within a week. Really, now I. Can- 400% agree with that. I don't think anyone has the old DIY um, cliched hardcore ethics anymore. Um, do you think nowadays also signing artists is kind of, it's almost becoming redundant? It doesn't mean there's no point in it, but like mm. as in everyone can do it themselves in a way. Oh, 100%. And I totally, that's the other reason. Like I, I've never been a, a label that tries to poach bands and promise them this and that and give them the world because I can name five bands off the bat that I've picked up, signed, built up, and then they've gone on to resist Unified or somewhere else. Mm. And I like that. It's like people might think, oh, my God, you people just use you and then go to the next level. It's like, well, I got them there. So uh, it's, it's, no, it's, it's no diss to me. I'm never going to be able to push them as hard as they are but they would never have got to where they are now without me. So I'm happy to see them progress 100%. But I can definitely use an example like Smith Street from um, Melbourne. They're, um, I think he started his own label to print their last record. So they not only – you can release music independently, but off their last record they started a label to release it themselves anyway, which is what I did in the first place. So 100%. Like back in the day, you needed distribution – to be able to, like, that was like, if I was a label and people were like, what can you give me? I could offer them distribution because I could get their music in JB Hi-Fi or I could do this. I can make sure it's digitally up and running all over the world. But now you could be John Bloggs from down in Ballarat and get on Spotify. Yeah. So you don't even need, like, you can do it all yourself. And not only that, but you're cutting out the label and you're kind of cutting out the distribution to go direct to Spotify. So 100%. Is that the labels are definitely becoming um, less of a less of a thing back in the day? But um, I guess depends what kind depends how what your worth ethics like. That's probably what it falls back on. Like if you just have the music but don't have a clue of what you're doing on the other side, then you need a label. But if you're pro everything and you know what you're doing, then I totally back you to do it yourself and cut out the middleman because i did that myself except i was the label anyway so um you're ideally doing diy yourself without a label so it's it's just as good in that way 100 percent. do you do you still keep your eye out for bands i mean i know dogfight has maverick currently going and you also have recently you released um Hammer Time, I believe. Yeah, Hammer Time uh, from Melbourne, yeah. Yeah, so is there, do you guys, are you always on the hunt or do you always get, 
do you get a lot of applications from bands saying we need some help? You know, can well, you help us or I think definitely because the last couple of years, as you said, I think it was when after between Turn the Curse and Price of Pain that Dogfight dropped off the face of the earth. Same thing for two years. So we had we were we were free of anything for that long because a lot of the bands had either everything that we had had broken up, everything we had. So like um, the Sinto finished. Deceiver weren't doing anything. Um, Hand of Mercy went to Unified. Um, all these other bands that were, were working um, had either broken up, finished, not done, or gone to another label. So we just had this big um, empty patch. And then it wasn't until um, Hammer Time I got um, a good mate of mine, the singer from New Zealand, he was moving over here and he wanted to push the band. And I said, well, let's, let's try and get it in circulation and let's try and help you out a bit. And a good friend of mine from Melbourne, Grave Street Blues, also um, came onto the picture. But I definitely am out looking for bands, but I don't I don't go out searching as much unless something falls into my lap that I really like. Like coming from, I've already done. I think I looked at it the other day. I'm nearly out to like my 25th release, and I don't release stuff for the sake of releasing it anymore. Like I'd rather release my good friends who I know just want a little bit of help than trying to search to find the next biggest thing that wants to, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't, it's not so much, I'm not that business savvy that I want to like build up this big, like, okay, this is what we're doing. And this is what we're doing. It's like, let's just, let's just make music and be fun. I'm going to help you with whatever you need. Let's get this. Let's get that. Like, as you said, Maverick, they're a bunch of boys from Sydney and they're in a local other band that years ago I was managing for a bit and then they came back and now this is the second kind of band that they started and um, with half the members and yeah, I'm loving it. It's, it's, it's a bit edgy and catchy and a hell of a lot different to other stuff that I've actually dealt with. And they've got a hell of a lot coming up. I'll say that um, the EP's only got the one single out. I've got another single dropping real soon. We've just got some offers for some shows down Melbourne. They've got a huge East Coast run coming up and a couple of other big Sydney shows that you'll see getting dropped soon. So I'd rather actually, because there's only me doing everything, I'm the type of person that would rather have three bands than I would work hard, that I get along with really well, and I want to focus on them. I don't want to have 20 bands and be like, oh, shit, I forgot that that, that they were doing this and I, I didn't get them an interview on Triple J like because – I don't have a big board of team members running my art and my Twitter and my all that kind of stuff. So um, if something comes to me, I'll 100% look at it. And if if I if I feel like I can help them or whatever, I'll do it in any way possible. Like, but um, I don't I don't I'd rather not have a hundred bands that aren't doing anything just for the sake of having a hundred bands on my label. Yeah, quality over quantity. Yeah, ones that I'd rather work with 100%. Now, last couple of things just want to ask your opinion on um, and just yep. get your feedback on because we've touched a little bit on social media. Now, being someone who's seen all sides of the impacts through MySpace days, then the Facebook, Instagram stuff, Yep. where do you see the industry, not only from an artist and record perspective, but from a fan's perspective, where do you see music going in 2018? Do you see it's a good thing or a bad thing at the moment? Do you know what? Like, this, this is the thing from, you could you could say from a label's point of view, when Spotify and iTunes and all that digital stuff come along, 
it's the worst thing to ever happen to a record label's point of view, but that's only for the board members who have shares and are looking to make millions of dollars. But mm. from a musician's point of view, it couldn't couldn't be better. Like back in the day, I still remember I did a resist used to do hardcore every year, and we used to put out um, like a sample CD which had trial and error from uh, where were they from? I think trial Nine? and error from Perth, oh, Perth or, or Melbourne. Yeah. yeah, washed up records from Melbourne mm-hmm. and Rel- and um, resist and dogfight from Sydney. We used to do the four labels would put on four or five bands and used to get that and that used to get it spun around and so kids that would come from all over would get a mixture of music and like that was that was probably one of the only ways that you could really compilations were one of the only ways that you could find out about new bands because you'd make a mixtape really Mm. of bands all over the east coast and put them on one so kids in sydney would pick it up and hear bands from perth because they probably never heard of them before but the best thing now is the fact that um you can put a song up on on Spotify or YouTube, um, and get over thirty thousand plays in Japan. It's crazy, isn't it? You know what I mean. So, and and from an Australian music point of view, I couldn't think of anything better. Like seeing some of the some of the young bands coming up now that um, just released an EP, and they're getting like a couple of hundred thousand views on YouTube and getting all this other stuff. It's like the expansion's so much greater. And the other thing about that is when they find out they're Australian bands, they'll search to see where they're from and who they've been playing with and the fact that if they start following on Instagram, 50% of the, I mean, like 80% of the time, they'll be supporting other Australian bands. So other bands from Australia will be getting their name out there. So I, I truly believe that um, the internet's probably one of the greatest things for becoming musicians to get their music out worldwide. So, oh, yeah. But, yeah, and, but a different and where side it will of that. be in 2018. Yeah, I think if anything, it'll just become more and more band independently run without labels, and it will. I don't know where it will go. I don't, I'm not too sure. I think people are past the point of doing things for free. People are past the past the point of. Like the biggest thing which which blew me away was when bands would go funding to raise money to tour. Yeah, quite a few bands have been doing that. Stuff like that is a little bit backwards to me. Yeah, it doesn't um, doesn't make sense to me either. No, so I feel like the next generation, like you'll see bands saying, pretty much, "Hey guys, we've got these new songs out." Um, Studio time is a little bit pricey these days, so um, if you want to pre-order the record, you can buy it now, and we'll use your money to record it. Yes, <laughs> and then you'll get it. You'll get it when we bring it out, kind of thing. So if you want to hear it, just just buy these packages where you'll see stuff, and you might get the stuff. <laughs> and you get like so, a you get a drumstick that might have yeah, been used in the recording. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's I feel insane. like. That's possibly where it could go, but um, who knows? Oh, there's already new, like, there's like a new Instagram rolling around now, oh. which is like Vero or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there could be, that. there could, there could become. I don't know if if this pops off, um, Mark Zuckerberg. I'd like to use this as my verbal verbal patent, but <laughs> there might become there might become like a Spotify Instagram for bands only. So you Ooh. go to the you go to the Instagram page. And it's it's kind of like an old MySpace, so it's the Instagram, but 
they use it for on there as their Spotify account as well as like a little store as well maybe or maybe all in one rather than having all these other sharing things, you know what I mean? Like that's what it will be. It's 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 just what they can put into one. Yeah. Now, with with the social media side, with the live music side, do you think the whole um, kind of quick access access uh, the quick accessibility to music? Do you think it's starting to affect the live music? Do you think kids are starting to not go to shows? Because I know I've been to quite a few shows lately. Unless it's a big name band, kids aren't going. Oh. I've definitely seen that. I've seen it go up and down over the past 10, 12 years. Mm. But over the past four years, it's been at an all-time low. Unless there's an international band on the tour, you don't see kids there. And I'm to blame. But my only excuse would be I'm a lot older now. So when I get to my Friday, I'm still doing book work for my week and I still have to do my banking and all this other stuff. And although I'd love to get to a show, I haven't been able to get to as many as I used to be able to, but I still try to get out to as many as I can. But the young people, I think, are so spoilt now that they, they definitely can pick and choose. It's, and that's the problem. I think it, I've, I'm quite saddened by it because, I, I mean, I didn't move to the country till I was 17 and to see the state of it in the late 90s, 2000s and how big it was getting and now seeing it, it's upsetting. I'm, I'm really surprised. Kids won't turn out for a $10 show. Nah. And so I don't know, maybe like America used to do these things every now and then where they used to do 10 for 10 and mm. they'd send like 10 bands around the, around the coast for $10 or they'd um, do kind of mixed bills and all that kind of stuff. But that's the whole issue. It's, although a younger band could get on Spotify and get looked at YouTube, unless they're supporting a massive international band, no one cares these days. It's, so although their music yeah. is a lot more accessible, their live acts are lessened. Yeah, it's it's, it's weird. Um, last part of this whole process is called pick your poison. Yeah. So it's real simple. It's like a would you rather. You've got two choices. Okay. You pick the one you want. We're just going to delve into Trent's mind about, you know, this is more like what really do you like? So <laughs> Spit it. Pizza. Or burger? Oh, lately burgers, actually. Ooh, like a big one, like one of those gourmet ones, or are you talking like... Nah, I'm not, I'm not big on that. Like, if I want that, I'll go back to America and I'll have my American style. Everyone's competing over here having a burger with, <laughs> like, the biggest chicken wing on top with a milkshake. It's like, nah, just keep it simple. Get me down to the local chicken burger shop down Bondi and I'm happy with that. Chicken or beef? Beef. Ooh. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, cooking or dining out? Oh, <laughs> see, that's a catch twenty-two. It is. I dine out every <laughs> night, but I can't afford to barely even cook at home. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know um, what? I'm going to go dining out. Dining out. Okay. If I had the money, dining out. All right. Here's here's one that everyone seems to. It's a real simple one. Cat or dog? Oh. It's quite simple the most, but um, mum's always had a cat, and I and my girlfriend has a cat, and I'm happy with cats, but I don't mind dogs. I'd like dogs; they're a lot more fun. But I hate cleaning up after them, I guess. So we'll say a draw. We'll say yeah, say 50 Going to the cinema or sitting on the couch? 
Oh, yeah. I'd probably, yet again, I'd go to the cinema all the time if I had the money. It's the whole experience, but I'm just too lazy and poor these days that the couch in Netflix owns me. <laughs> it's just affordable nowadays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, beach or snow? Well, that's an easy one because I've only seen snow once when we were in America. I think we were in Minnesota and I made a snowman in the gutter and um, I've never snowboarded or skied in my life. So beach over, beach. <laughs> surfing in the beach 100%. Terminator or Predator? <laughs> Terminator. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so then is it the next one, uh, is it Arnie or Sly? <sighs> I mean, you got Rocky or Terminator. It's a bit yeah. I know. I'm gonna have to go Rocky because nice. I've seen all of them all the way to Creed, and I saw actually on a on like a blog site the other day, and I think the that the the main actor was showing the script for Creed two, and I was like, yeah, let's yeah. get that rolling too. Apparently, it's got Dolph Lundgren's character from Rocky four. His son, yeah. is the bad guy. Oh, there guy. you go. See, yeah, so. so I'll have to go that insane. Um, Ooh, okay. Rugby or football? Football is in AFL. Yeah. So I'll say I'll say rugby because I'm a big league. I'm a big rugby league boy. Mm-hmm. Um, if if there's union on, I might watch Australia play. But otherwise, I don't I don't follow AFL. But I just tell everyone I go for the Swans because. I like writing them off when Swans beat their team, so <laughs> that's all that matters, really. <laughs> all right, couple left. Sick of it all or Mad Ball? You know what? It'll have to be Mad Ball because yes. I have a Mad Ball tattoo, and we played with them, actually. It said, it popped up on my Facebook feed, we played with them in Budang, uh, Budang Indonesia. I think it was four years ago now, Far. yesterday. And so, um, I'm the same. i got the uh, tattoo logo on my calf. Love yeah, it. very nice. Slayer or Pantera? More of a metal. I'm going to go. I would have said Slayer, but I'm going to go Pantera. And I just saw something today that it's like, however many years of vulgar display came out. I think this week. Yeah, twenty three years. I think. Something yeah, twenty three. Like yeah. yeah. So I'm going to go with Pantera. Okay. Um, I'm having a look. Oh, okay. Mosh Pit or up the back enjoying the show. <laughs> Me, me, five, ten years ago, mosh pit, creating a ruckus, annoying every security guard in the venue as much as I could. Now, up the back with a soda water, talking to people at the nerds. <laughs> Last one, vinyl or CD? Vinyl. Yeah. And the funniest thing about that is I have such a big, I'm like the biggest vinyl nerd without being a vinyl nerd. Because I've got the biggest seven-inch collection, and not until last year did I even own a vinyl. I never listened to any of them, but I just loved collecting them. <laughs> nice. So how many yeah, have you so, got? Oh, I got three. What have I got? Three massive shelves full of seven inches, and then I probably got more seven inches than twelve inches, but a lot of seven inches. Like I got the whole run of the old. Um, I got pretty much all Terror stuff, all Last Nerve. I got couple of test presses of, I think, the internal affairs stuff, but I haven't even looked at it. I got, like, the, I got the, the live recording that Mind Snare did when they were going to break up when um, the drum oh, was leaving. Yeah. I, got the de- I got the Dead Walk um, final seven-inch, like, their, like, farewell tour, kind of like farewell show, handwritten one. 
most of those little like one-offs are like like I kind of grab them over just your run-of-the-mill ones, I guess. Yeah, but are you a collector to the point where you won't play it? I'm a collector that I haven't played because I've never owned a vinyl player. So I guess if that makes me sound real cruise, then yeah, no. I don't play it. Yeah, you're a collector that likes to keep them in mint condition. That's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Trent. Thank you so much. No problem. I appreciate you reaching out. So that was my chat with Trent of Relentless and Dogfight Records. Massive thank you and shout out to the man for taking time out of his busy-as-hell schedule for the Mosh Zone. Really appreciated it. Awesome chat. Look forward to having Trent back on in a month or two, and we'll get to know a bit more about Dogfight, a bit more about Relentless, and just kind of delve in and explore some more. And that is the Mosh Zone, Episode 7, done and dusted, people. Big show, great show, had a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. As always, don't forget to send us an email, themoshzone at gmail.com. Don't forget, like and comment and send us an inbox over Facebook, Instagram or Twitter, all at The Mosh Zone. Give us some feedback, get in touch, help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, don't forget, share this podcast with your friends. Tell your friends, share it on your socials. Let's spread the word about the show. Let's grow this show. Let's grow this community. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another big show. Episode 8 is going to be even bigger. Stay safe. Enjoy your week. Open the pitch.